But the fact that it impacts the brain, the muscle, the pancreas, the liver, the stomach, all in concert together, uh, I can't see how these drugs can help but be uh, pretty wonderful. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to solvingtype2diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. very good week. I've had a full week. I'll say that for sure. If you remember last episode, I was on a Royal Caribbean cruise, uh, Oasis of the Seas, and that was a whole lot of fun. I did seem to pick up a cold uh, on that cruise, and I checked. It's not COVID, uh, but I did get a cold on that cruise, and uh, this week it has been uh, following me. I would say right now I'm probably about 90% over that uh, cold. I haven't taken any cold medicine in the last two days, and I'm feeling much better, and I'm glad for that because I have a lot going on this week. I spent, uh, after the cruise, two days in the car. My wife and I came down here to Walt Disney World. It's about a 16 or 17-hour drive from Pennsylvania, and we like to take it slow, so we split it up into two days. And so that was two days in the car made it uh, a little challenging for meals and whatnot, but uh, I think I did fairly well with that. And then uh, once we got here to Walt Disney World on Wednesday, we uh, did some grocery shopping uh, for the time down here in Walt Disney World. We have a a one-bedroom villa at the Saratoga Springs Resort and Spa at Walt Disney World, and it has a full kitchen. So we even brought a crock pot with us. So we were able to get our regular meals in and and I did some grocery shopping and I, I stocked up on things that are going to be helpful uh, to me. Now the last two mornings, I got up at 2.30 in the morning. In fact, I'm going to do it again tomorrow morning. And uh, the reason I did that was for uh, three Run Disney events. Uh, Friday morning was a 5K and uh, that was fun. All, all in the dark, uh, starts at uh, 5 a.m., and you have to take the Disney bus over there. So you get on the Disney bus at 3, you get over there about 3.30, and then you sit and wait until it starts at 5 a.m. And it was over, you know, before 6 a.m. But they had lots of characters on the course and, and tons of music and good DJs and race announcers, and it was very, very well uh, produced event, and uh, I really enjoy the Run Disney events. Haven't done one in, I guess, three years now. Uh, at least two, at least two years. Uh, but this was a good one. And then today was the 10K, and that was themed after Raya and the Last Dragon. I'm not sure if you've heard of that movie. It was a Disney animated film that came out in 21. But again, a great event, lots and lots of character meet and greets, photo opportunities. Uh, bands. They had uh, marching bands. They had uh, gospel choirs. It was really good, uh, really uh, motivating and exciting, and uh, really uh, 
great Disney theme for a 10K. So that was this morning. And now tomorrow morning is the half marathon. So uh, that should be fun as well. And uh, I'll talk more about that, I imagine, on next week's episode. Let's take a look at my numbers for the week. Now, this week I closed my rings five days. Uh, two days I really spent in the car, so there wasn't a tremendous opportunity unless I wanted to do something later in the evening, which I didn't. Uh, but I closed my rings five days uh, this week, and I did some rowing, a lot of walks, and then for these Run Disney events, I've been doing run walk. So I run for a little bit, walk for a little bit, run for a little bit, walk for a little bit, and uh, get through it that way. And I plan to do the same thing for the half marathon uh, tomorrow. For my seven-day uh, glucose readings, my average glucose for this week, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days, has been 122. And that's just a touch above my ideal range. I have mentioned before that I like to keep my ideal range between 115 and 120. Well, this week it's been 122. Again, nothing like the 250 or 300 that it was uh, years past, but uh, it's 122, and that's an A1C of 5.6, which is just a hair under the prediabetes range. Prediabetes is defined as an A1C between 5.7 and 6.4, and then, of course, above that is type 2 diabetes. So even to have it a hair higher but still be below the even the prediabetes range is great. I'm totally happy with that. Now, my body fat percentage, when I was on the scale this past Sunday, when I got home from the cruise, my body fat percentage is the same as it was, you know, a week or so before that at 27.2. So that's held steady now for the past couple of weeks. We'll see it again what it is when I get home. That won't be for just over another week. With regards to my macros, they've been pretty spot on this week. 16% of my intake has been carbohydrates, 23% uh, uh, protein. So I have a fairly high protein goal because I'm trying to maintain uh, and not lose muscle mass. And of course, my carbohydrates I keep low because I find that's extremely helpful for my type 2 diabetes. So for my challenges and wins this week, the big thing I've had is a completely weird schedule. First, being in a car for two days, uh, eating at restaurants, and then uh, for the last two days and also tomorrow, getting up at 2.30 in the morning. That has left me more tired than usual. Uh, in fact, yesterday I did some eating to compensate, I think. Uh, I ate the runner's snack box. And of course, that's your traditional high-carbohydrate things, uh, granola, uh, little fruit chews, uh, pretzels, a cheese dip, uh, a honey waffle, uh, different things like that, things that I don't typically eat uh, on my day-to-day -day now that I'm trying to solve my type 2 diabetes. But I ate them yesterday. And of course, if you saw my Instagram stories yesterday, you saw how uh, that dramatically spiked my uh, blood glucose readings yesterday. I was over 220. Uh, as part of a spike after eating that runner's snack box. So today, I didn't touch it. And tomorrow, I don't plan to touch it either. And uh, that's just some of the things you have to do, or some of the things I do anyway, in order to keep my blood sugar under control. So a little lesson learned there. 
Um, did it once, won't do it again. So let's take a look at the news this week, see what's in the news. I found three articles here that I thought would be interesting to you. Uh, the first one is entitled, Afternoon or Evening Physical Activity is Linked to Reduced Insulin Resistance. So that's a very interesting topic. There was a, a study published, and this article uh, came out uh, the 1st of November. So there was a study published. It was done by uh, the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands. So this is a European study. And what they found is that people who did uh, late afternoon or evening physical activity versus people who did morning activity was that those who did their activity, their exercise, their movement, late in the afternoon or in the evening, were able to reduce their insulin resistance and had better control of their blood sugar. Now, there's some you know, theories as to why uh, this is, but what they found was a definite statistically significant reduction in insulin resistance uh, for those who exercised in the evenings. Now, they don't know exactly why. What they say is that this requires more study, but they say that they uh, controlled for other factors and it was simply the time of day. Now, you know, I'm just guessing here, but could it be that it affects maybe late night eating or, you know, could it be causing some other behavior change that in fact has an important role as well? I don't know, but I did think this was an interesting article and uh, it does link to the entire study. It was released in 2022, so there's a recent article, and you can see that study when you look at the news article, and of course the links are in the show notes. The second article is called Understanding Your Treatment Options for Type 2 Diabetes. Now this article reviews things that we talk about a lot here. Exercise, diet, medication, both oral or injectable, and you know, it just basically reviews the fact that these are standard things that are done when people want to uh, control their type 2 diabetes. It talks about staying away from high glycemic index foods, and it uses examples of white bread, potatoes, white rice, processed foods, and soft drinks. It talks about avoiding those types of things. With exercise, it says by exercising on a regular basis, and what they say is 150 minutes of moderate activity a week, so five sessions of 30 minutes, something like that. Um, they say that that can help maintain healthy weight, lower your blood pressure, improve cholesterol, improve sleep, mood, energy levels, and that type of thing. Also, it talks about various oral medications that are given. Uh, the most common is metformin. It does talk about uh, a bunch of other medications that are often given. And then insulin. And uh, usually insulin is not a first line of medication for type 2 diabetes. Uh, it certainly is for type 1. But with type 2 diabetes, you're still producing insulin on your own. It's just that you're not responding properly to it. And then it goes on to talk about injectable 
medications, and we're going to talk about some of those a little bit later. And then finally, surgery, bariatric surgery to improve blood sugar control. And, and obviously, the main reason there is you eat a whole lot less, and it's typically low-sugar foods that you're eating. You're eating more high-protein foods because you can't eat much, so what you do eat has to be fairly uh, high protein. So that's a good article. Again, it reviews some of the things that we talk about here a lot, but there's nothing wrong with uh, hearing someone else write about it and getting a second uh, view on the topic. Finally, the last article here is called What to Eat and What to Avoid with Type 2 Diabetes. So we've talked about exercise, we've talked about treatment options. Now this third article is about your eating. So what does it say that you should eat and what does it say you should avoid? And this is put out by a registered dietitian, master public health person, and obviously I would like to rely on what those folks say versus just what I say on my own. So the starter is vegetables, beans, and legumes as a definite cornerstone as far as what you should eat, according to this registered dietitian, to help manage your type 2 diabetes. She wants to, you to stay away from starchy vegetables because she says that those could cause a spike in your blood sugar, much more so than non-starchy vegetables. Legumes and beans are great because they have, while they do have some carbohydrate, obviously, they have a ton of fiber. And that combination, for example, like with whole grains, you know, if you're eating the whole oat or the whole grain, that is better than if you're eating ones that have had the fiber removed. So she goes on here to talk about foods that should be avoided. And again, this is some fairly common information that we probably have discussed before, but she says to avoid white rice, white pasta. And again, those have had the fiber removed. They have very, very little fiber. So therefore it's all carbohydrate and it can be converted very easily into sugar in your body. And then your blood sugar will spike most likely fairly dramatically. She says that while fruit is very, very healthy to eat, make sure you're having the whole fruit, not just the fruit juice, because that will concentrate the sugar and again, remove the fiber. She says foods to avoid are ultra-processed food, even if it's in its natural state, it was a good choice, like a protein or something like that. Once it gets ultra-processed and usually then has sugar added and wheat added and many, many other things. But she says to avoid the processed or she says ultra-processed or fast food item. And then, of course, when it comes to fats, uh, she likes to emphasize the unsaturated fats and avoid, she says, the trans fat, which I think everyone, at least hopefully everyone knows to avoid the trans fats and avoid uh, sugar in drinks like soda, fruit juice, uh, sweet tea, things like that. And she said, substitute instead sugar-free versions of those drinks. So again, good article. Could this be information that's known to some of you already? Yeah, for sure, certainly. But if you still have a question on what to eat or what to avoid, if you're dealing with type 2 diabetes, then this is a fabulous article for you to read. And I would encourage you to click on the link in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about our main topic for this week, 
And that is my medications. I wanted to go into detail a little bit about the medications that I'm prescribed that I take every day, and uh, they are helpful to me. And I don't know that I could do what I'm doing and being successful like I am right now without these medications. Although hopefully one day uh, I'll get to do some tests, some experiments, and see if I can, with my doctor's coordination and help, see if I can reduce or eliminate some of these medications. Because they were prescribed when I was having much, much higher blood sugars. And now that my blood sugars, at least for the last couple of months, have been even below the pre-diabetes levels, maybe if I keep eating this way, we're going to be able to reduce some of these medications, and that would be absolutely fabulous. The first medication that I was prescribed was several years ago. I'm trying to think now exactly how long I've been taking this medication, but it's been several years. Anyway, metformin. It's a pill, and I take this pill twice a day, and I'm going to use a link here to help me, and I'm going to put the link to this article as well in the show notes. So it's entitled, How Does Metformin Work? and it's put out by a medical news bulletin. So how does metformin work? Basically, there's a few different things going on with metformin. Primarily, it reduces the glucose production by the liver. Now, you know, your liver is the factory of the body. The liver creates all types of compounds and chemicals and enzymes and various nutrient components that it takes from what you eat, and it repackages all that for your body to use it. Well, one of the things that the liver produces, and typically produce a lot of, is glucose. And when you have glucose in your blood, it is generally coming from the liver. Liver takes in what you eat and then releases it back out into your bloodstream and can even create glucose uh, from things that did not have it when you ate it. For example, it can take some proteins and reformulate those and produce glucose. Also, in addition to reducing the amount of glucose that your liver creates and releases into the blood, it also reduces the amount of sugar that is absorbed by your intestines because the metformin pill passes all the way down through the intestines one of the things it does, it reduces the amount of that sugar that you eat. And this has to be carbohydrates that you actually eat. It reduces the amount that gets into your blood system by preventing some of it from passing through your small intestine. And then finally, metformin has a third action in that it helps increase insulin sensitivity. So the main problem that people with type 2 diabetes have is they're not able to properly use the insulin that your body's creating. So it's almost like you don't have insulin. You do, your body's just not using it properly. Well, what one of the things metformin does is helps your blood deliver this glucose to all the cells of your body, and it helps those cells take up the glucose. In other words, use and absorb that glucose from your blood, and that's helped by metformin letting insulin do its job. Uh, one of the primary jobs of insulin is called being a gatekeeper and that it's to sort of unlock the lock that lets the glucose into your cells. So 
metformin does three things. It reduces the amount of glucose generated and released in the blood from the liver. It reduces the amount of sugar that is absorbed by the intestines. And finally, it helps your body be more sensitive to the insulin you do have and therefore allowing the glucose to leave your blood and go into your cells and actually be used up. So that is the first drug that I was prescribed, metformin. Now, the second one that I've been on now, and I guess it's about a year, well, maybe not a, not a full year yet. It was in early 22, I believe, that I was first prescribed Farsica, F-A-R-X-I-G-A, Farsica. And again, I'm going to use a link to help me with this definition, and that also obviously will be in the show notes. Farsica is actually an SGLT2, a sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitor. So it's an inhibitor. It blocks some of the sugar and sodium being reabsorbed in the kidneys. So the blood goes to your kidneys. All your blood that's circulating in your body has to pass through the kidneys to be filtered. That's what your kidneys do. They filter your blood. So typically, your kidneys, while it does filter the sugar and the sodium, it is normally just reabsorbed right back in. So it does not filter it out. It just is reabsorbed by the kidneys and therefore goes back into your bloodstream. So what Farsiga does is stops that. It stops some of the sugar and sodium from getting back into your bloodstream. And basically from the kidneys, it sends the excess sugar down to your bladder and then it goes away. And whereas metformin had three different primary actions, this is simply one action. It keeps your kidneys from reabsorbing all of the sugar that's in your bloodstream and it just bypasses it and you get rid of it. You flush it away, so to speak. And for me, that has been a big benefit. I noticed immediately and dramatically a reduction of blood sugar when I started taking Farsiga. And I think that it is still doing a, a tremendous job. Of course, you don't know unless you stop taking it, but which I don't plan to do. But uh, that was a dramatic change when I started taking this medication. It also says that because of what it does in the kidneys, it might help your heart's ability to pump the blood through your body. And so it may, in other words, it makes it a little bit easier on your kidneys. And it also lowers kidney pressure that often comes with chronic kidney disease. So it has some co-benefits, I'll call them. But obviously the reason I was prescribed it was as a reduction for blood sugar. So those are the two medications that I take. They're the only two blood sugar-related medications that I've ever been prescribed. And if I had to guess, I think my first discussion with the doctor will be maybe to reduce my metformin dosage. I know that I'm not on the lowest possible dosage of that. I think I might be on the lowest dosage of Farsiga, but with metformin, I'm at a sort of higher dosage. So I'm wondering if maybe that could be the first thing we try and reduce that 
level of metformin that I'm taking. If you have any questions about those two medications or how I take them or want to talk any more about that, please let me know. Feel free to send me some feedback at my website, solvingtype2diabetes.com. There's a feedback link you can click on and type in your comment or your question right there, and I'll be happy to get to it. So, speaking of questions, we actually have one, well, maybe even two this week, and I'm very excited about that. Katie from Maryland clicked on that feedback button and wrote and sent me in these two questions. So let's do the first one here. It says, and ironically, well, maybe it's because I mentioned last week we are going to be talking about medications, but she wrote in about medications. She says here, I'd be interested in hearing about different meds, old school versus new school, oral metformin versus the newer injectable GLP-1 meds in treating or preventing type 2 diabetes. And there are some new medications, and I think here by old school, she means the metformin, which we've talked about pretty well. Metformin has been around for several decades, and it is usually the first line drug that physicians will prescribe to someone with type 2 diabetes. But some of these newer drugs that are coming on market are amazing. I've read some studies recently, and these are some of the newer injectable drugs. The Farsica, in fact, is fairly new. I think it might have only been around for a couple of years, but that's not injectable. The ones I take are just pills. These new type of drugs, these GLP-1 drugs are amazing. They have been around maybe at most a year or two. I think the one drug that we'll talk about here has only been under prescription for about the last three months. So I'm going to, again, refer to another article. I am not a doctor. I am not a healthcare provider. So what I say about these drugs is what I'm reading off an article. And this article was written by a nurse and registered dietitian, and it's called GLP-1 Agonists for Type 2 Diabetes, Injectable Medications that Lower Blood Sugar and Aid Weight Loss. So Katie asked about these GLP-1 receptor agonists. So I'm going to be looking here at this article, and I want to focus on how they work. I don't think I'm getting into which is better than the other. That clearly is a doctor's role to discuss that with you. But let me tell you about how this general class of medication works according to this article. So GLP-1, it's glucagon-like peptide, GLP. It's a hormone. And in folks with type 2 diabetes, it's lower. The amount that you have in your blood is lower than normal. This hormone is known as Incretin, I-N-C-R-E-T-I-N. These agonists are part of a class of medications known as incretin mimetics. In other words, it mimics the effect of this glucagon-like peptide. So what do these actions include? What does it actually do? Well, it says here, it helps control appetite and blood sugar levels. It helps the pancreas release the optimal amount of insulin which transports the glucose to tissues in the body where it can be used for energy. And it slows the rate at which foods leave the stomach, which helps to control postprandial, 
that means after meal, blood sugar levels. The GLP-1 agonists work on different organs throughout the body. This is really fascinating here. The GLP-1 sends a signal to the hypothalamus, which is part of the brain, and it's responsible for appetite and the thirst, to make the brain want to take in less water and food. This obviously can lead to weight loss. Now, there is they do warn about a dehydration danger because it reduces your desire to drink water. It also stimulates gluconeogenesis, which is the process the body uses to make glucose from protein or fat. That also lowers the blood sugar by stimulating glucose uptake into the cells and increasing how efficiently the body uses insulin. It works on the pancreas to produce more insulin, and it decreases the secretion of glucagon, which is a pancreatic hormone that helps to prevent blood sugar levels from dipping too low. In other words, when you have glucagon, your blood sugar levels are going to raise. It also works in the liver by reducing the glucose output. If you remember, we said that is something that the metformin does as well. And then finally, it decreases both the secretion of acid in the stomach and how quickly food is emptied from the stomach. So you feel full longer, and that could limit how much you eat. So this is just fascinating. Whereas before, if you remember, we talked about farsiga, which affected only the kidneys, and then metformin, which affected primarily the liver. This class of drugs, these GLP-1 drugs, seem to affect a lot of major organs throughout the body, all working together to reduce blood sugar levels, which seems uh, fabulous. And then they're also saying here that many people are experiencing significant weight loss. In fact, you might remember here recently in the news seeing many articles where people are using these drugs, which were developed for people with type 2 diabetes, as primarily a weight loss drug. In fact, some are saying this is becoming so popular, it's leading to a shortage. But as long as these things are selling for money, I have a feeling they will be able to manufacture more. So this article goes on and it lists about six or seven various brand names of this class of drug. Now, you might have heard of Ozempic, Trulicity, and Wegovi. Those three have been, I think, well, even Ribelsis. Those four have been marketed on TV all the time. It's hard to watch the six o'clock news without seeing an ad for some of these medications. And again, these are all injectable. I think typically they come once a week as an injection. And basically, as long as you're taking them, just like any other medication for type 2 diabetes, they can be effective. In fact, some of these, it looks like they can be very effective, especially for people who are overweight. These drugs seem fabulous, but they will stop working when you stop taking them. And then everything that was going on before will come back. So I've heard that some of these drugs, because they're so new, they're not yet covered by medical insurance and can cost upwards of like $1,000 a month, which is pretty darn high. So anyway, you can read that. It goes in links to other articles 
But the fact that it impacts the brain, the muscle, the pancreas, the liver, the stomach, all in concert together, uh, I can't see how these things can help but be uh, pretty wonderful. So you can look at that article and check that out on your own and invite you to do that. But let me get to the second part of her question here. And she said she's also interested in hearing what kind of role you think genetics versus upbringing plays, like nature versus nurture. Well, I can only give a little bit of anecdotal evidence. And again, this is not medically backed advice. This is just my experience. But I think genetics plays a large role. Let's look at my wife and I. We're both about the same age. Both have, you know, some similar habits, but she has absolutely no problems with type 2 diabetes. Her blood sugar levels are totally normal, even though one of her favorite meals is a bowl of sugary cereal. And uh, she loves her snacks, loves her treats. God bless her. Her blood work is completely normal. I can't touch that stuff. Even with my medications, I can't really touch that stuff more than just a, a slight little bit without sending my blood sugar readings through the roof. So there you have two people, uh, and if they ate similarly, they would have wildly different results. Now, is that all genetics? Perhaps not. It could be that when I was younger, I abused my pancreas much more than she did. I know that, you know, I spent decades eating tons of sugary things and I was always uh, very overweight. And, uh, you know, could I have done some damage? And therefore, could my uh, environment have been to cause? Yes, absolutely could have. But, you know, just looking at the two of us, I got to think that there's a genetic difference. In fact, one time uh, my doctor mentioned that, hey, sometimes people just get lucky genes and sometimes they get unlucky genes. I think I was lamenting uh, the situation to her uh, when she mentioned that. So thank you very much for that question. I did not give you a complete answer. Uh, for me, I think a lot of it's genetics, but you know, it's got to be I know for sure what you eat uh, as well. And still, let you, even you, if you have, let's say, the bad genes, the unlucky genes, well, all that means is you have to be a little more careful. You have to think, uh, and everything is not on the menu. Um, you can still avoid the damaging aspects of having type 2 diabetes or even avoid type 2 diabetes if you get this information early enough. And uh, you can make the most of those genes that uh, you have been given. So thanks again for the questions. And if folks would like to send in more questions, I think that'd be great. I love answering these questions. Okay, so what's coming up next? Now, this is a little bit of a clickbait uh, title here for my next episode but I'm going to talk about why I don't care about losing weight. Now, you'll hear when I get into it that that's sort of like a half-truth, but 
I'm trying to make it sound a little interesting, to be honest. So why I don't care about losing weight is the topic for next week. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.